Hello, and welcome to Evangel Bros, your podcast about biblical literacy, discipleship, and historical slash cultural context. I'm your co-host, George Benson. I'm your other co-host, Don Sheever. And we're back for a second week in a row. Yeah, don't call it a comeback. <laughs> don't. Call no. It a comeback. No. No. How was your week, Don? Uh, it's not been great, honestly. This, uh... This self-isolation as much as uh, I was saying last podcast that it's kind of just normal for me. I think it just kind of caught up last week and I'm feeling a bit uh, distressed this week. But uh, better now that I'm seeing your glowing, shining, trimmed beard face. Yes. Well, What about um, your week? Uh, I guess kind of similar. It's been, um, it's been a pretty emotional up and down. Uh, for a couple of reasons, but you know, today is the first day in the last, I don't know, four or so that actually feels like it's on, it's on an upswing. I don't know if it's nice. because I actually set a schedule and went to bed at a reasonable time last night and woke up mm. and did a workout and everything. And like, I'm trying to, uh, find some sense of rhythm and normalcy. And I've, I have a lot of friends that have, uh, been contractors and work from home for a long time. And, I finally started taking some of their advice or their advice of setting up a separate space for work, um, making sure you take the same lunch time every day, set up time for a workout and, and shit yeah. like that. But I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I'm sure it's going to, you know, pitch and roll. So I have tinnitus as one of the symptoms from my health problems that I've had the last few years. And so George, you know, as because you see me enough that like, I often always have like one of those speakers that go around my, almost like a scarf around my neck. And I yeah. always have something like light music or something playing on it because it kind of helps me. It drowns out that constant ringing in my ears. Right. And so I found that in the, this past week, I've been using that same type of distraction mentality from the ringing of self-isolation. Uh, and so like, I'm not much of a Netflix binge watcher and I've just been like watching from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep, just watching shows. I mean, the good news out of that is I got to watch lost in space, uh, on Netflix, which was awesome. Um, yeah, I haven't seen season two of that, but season one is spectacular. Am I correct in this, that they stole a lot of moments from Jurassic park? Like the little, like the teenage girl with her knees pulled up to her, her chest hiding in like a reflective area while uh, a creature's walking around outside the tent. The only thing that was missing was I wanted the nose of the creature to lift up the outside of the tent to come in. That was all that was missing. From <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think you could say that it was, well, I think it's done the same thing to a lot of um, blockbusters that happened with lost in space so lost in space the original one came out in the 60s right and so a lot of that and the robot's sci-fi... a little bit different in this one. Oh, definitely <laughs> yeah, you know just wanted yeah a little bit um but you know a lot of those concepts were lifted from lost in space so i think it's been nice to actually uh see the influences that it's had and then um uh, be influenced by other oh mainstream. interesting yeah. you know what cool. I, does that make sense yeah, yeah i agree my my son and I were talking because he's watched it. In fact, he's the one that encouraged me to watch it. He, 
he thinks way too highly of me. He said, I think you'll really like it, Dad, because it's a pretty intelligent show. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> okay. Sweet, man. But, uh, but we were laughing at the difference between the robots. And, you know, we were like, the first robot looked like a vacuum cleaner supply store exploded and landed into a, a pile. And that was the, uh, the robot. So, yeah. But very good, George. I enjoyed season two. I highly recommend it. I hate cliffhangers, though. And so I was so glad that from season one to season two, I could just jump from one episode to the next. But, um, you know, season two ends and like every show that ends uh, and wants to tease a third season, there's the cliffhanger. And it's just like, I hate cliffhangers. <laughs> they make they make me angry. Oh, no. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, the book of Revelation, right? I mean, what a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> which part <laughs> well it started with the lsd trip that john was on <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't think i've ever heard revelation be referred to as a cliffhanger well you know it's that whole like what's the next yeah anyhow yeah. No, no 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 i get where you're coming from with that it's just that's that's funny um i was just trying to tie it all back so people understood <laughs> where we were going or not going yeah that's okay yeah so i mean i guess we can just kind of lost jump in scripture is where we're heading next that's true uh real quick how did easter go because we said that we you would have provided an update on this episode you know uh leaving the space for uh the people in our community that um identify with feminine pronouns or what have you is was really powerful um, I was surprised because it wasn't, there was a lot, at first it kind of was slow moving, but then there was just a lot of sharing from people who have felt dismissed by the church, forgotten by the church, um, unheard by the church and, um, or even put in their place by the church. So it was really powerful. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of conversation around the witness of, of Jesus and resurrection. It was more about just some lamenting about how women have been silenced in the church or women have been places have been manufactured in the church for women to stay like the, if the metaphorical kitchen, yeah. uh, barefoot pregnant in the kitchen of the church, um, so that was that was really, really helpful uh, to hear. And we have so many intelligent women in our community, um, insightful, brilliant people that um, it was really powerful. So, yeah, it ended up being good. It, it wasn't what I necessarily anticipated, but church rarely is when you let it open to the people to contribute to by by sharing what they're thinking about and wrestling with. So. Oh, good. I always say church on Sundays at dust is a choose your own adventure sermon. So that's pretty fair and accurate. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you do for Easter? Anything? Um, let's see. We watched the online video from, or the pre-recorded teaching from the church that we were part of in Columbus. Uh, and then just hung out. 
it's nice. Uh, yeah, my family attempted to do like a Zoom call for everybody, and I'm a f- I like Zoom or just online, you know, video conferencing. But anything where there's more than three open channels to me is chaotic evil, mm. especially when it's like the, the loudest thing or the sound closest to the microphone is the video that's picked up. Mm-hmm. And you, some people don't have a, realize that you can't like have side conversations in an open format like this. Right. And so for me, that's a very stressful situation. Uh, so I, you know, but it was good. You know, so uh, we we do like children's book readings during the week uh, for kids, uh, obviously. Uh, I guess yeah. not necessarily obviously, but I just encourage the parents to leave all the mics un, unmuted so that all the kids can interact. And let me tell you something that's interesting to me is that what you just talked about with family dialogue, I'm with you 100%. Kids are so much more intuitive with this stuff than adults are. The kids are sitting there listening, interacting, laughing, and engaging in the story. And the parents are standing behind them having a conversation. <laughs> so, so the kids the kids get it way more, I think, than the adults do. Like they think that if they lower their voice that it won't pick up on them or something. I'm not sure. But oh, that's if they stand still enough, the dinosaur can't see them. The mic can't hear them. <laughs> that's funny. Um so George, what do you have for us today? So what's, this week on the plate. Yeah. So just jumping right in. Uh, so I think I've shared this on the podcast before. I know I've done it in one of my s- solo episodes, but um, during this time of self-isolation, you know, I found myself always um, when I had downtime at, at one of the various jobs I've held over the years um, <clears throat> or like, just in, you know, random moments, I would sit and think to myself, man, I, you know, I wish I just had time to myself or time alone uh, or removed from society to where I could just scribe or study or, you know, do whatever. And in the last few weeks of self-isolation, I have done none of that. And I've had the perfect time to do it. Is it perfect? For, I mean... Yeah, good. Yeah, that's that's fair. Probably not, but I mean, it's not by choice. But I don't know. It is what it is. It, it with, with I should say with the it lends itself. To yeah, it. yeah, it does. And with with the parameters that I I spoke to myself in in those times, it, I would perceive this would be a great time to do it. I cannot go outside for whatever activity I want to do. Like you know, I can go walk or whatever, but. We can't go out to a restaurant. Nothing's t- nothing's distracting me from my time. I spend more time with my spouse now than I have in years. So it's not like, you know, we both come home from work and we're hanging out together. It's just, you know, I can come down to the basement and, and, and start writing, but I still don't do that. Um, and then I was thinking this morning about how much I really enjoy the desert mother and fathers and... You know, there are some things about monasticism that I, I really appreciate. The dedication, the, um, you know, the ability to help the, the poor, the, the self-sustaining aspects of it, um, the communal aspects of it, but it's also completely isolated and removed from, you know, everyone else, which double-edged sword probably. 
so anyway, uh, I, I, I was walking by my bookshelf and I, I pulled off uh, one of the books called Desert Wisdom, saying from the Desert Fathers. Uh, and I was just flipping through it and I was thinking, you know, what would be a lot of fun is to read a couple of the proverb quote, whatever from them to you and then get your thoughts on it and just talk back yeah, and forth. That's awesome. I love it. All right. So the first one is, and they're all pretty short, by the way. So do you want to first, in case there's people in the audience that don't know who the desert father's mothers are that you want to? Yes. Great thinking. So, uh, around the, well, so monasticism has been a part of different religions, uh, for ever. So within Christianity, it really became a thing, um, around the the second and third century, uh, basically men and women who had come to the Christian faith had removed themselves from whatever villages or cities they were in and went out to these desert sects that had decided to dedicate themselves to studying the scripture, um, scribing it, helping out the poor and giving up their possessions to live in this communal identity to help grow closer to God. Uh, and like I said, they would do that through meditation, prayer, reading, studying, and they would also engage in the community, but so hippies, I mean, or scenes, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so it was, uh, the, 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 the desert community, were the forerunners to, you know, monks, as we understand it today in Christendom. Um, And so a lot of them over the years, as part of the the studying and whatnot, their students, their disciples would write down sayings from the different fathers and they survived through today. And so here's here's the first one. Okay, great. Father Anthony said, the time is coming when people will be insane and they will see someone who is not insane. They will attack that person saying you are insane because you are not like us. Mm. Yeah, that seems uh, pretty appropriate for our time right now. Just, uh, and I think that's, that's something that regardless of where you sit on the political spectrum, um, we have that perception of those across the aisle from us right um so whether you're you're liberal and you look at conservatives that way or you're conservative you look at liberals that way and then of course the thing that always comes to my mind there is the assumption is that you're the sane one right that's the presumption in in this and yeah so i think for me I think that that's really such that rings so true because we value um, consensus over senses <laughs> um, like common sense or uh, so we, so it's more important that we have a consensus and it, it doesn't matter what truth exists if we're all in agreement, right? Like that yeah. tends to be how we function. Yeah. I, um, so the first thing that, that came to mind when I read that this morning was, have you ever seen the movie Zoolander? No. Okay. 
that's over 20 years old or almost. So I thought that you would get, anyway, there's a scene in there. I'm where, familiar with it. Okay. Well, there's a scene in there where Will Ferrell, who plays this, the, the bad guy named Mugatu, where he's yelling, saying, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. And mm-hmm. he's, you know, kind of, kind of the crazy one. But I, I feel like that that's a gif I have sent to my friends quite often when they've sent me news stories about what's going on right now. Yeah. And, and you're right. in in that, like, you know, it always, it's that idea starts with me thinking that I am the one that has the grip on everything that should be normal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is where George, that our answer centric culture has really harmed us. Right. That, the person, the person with the most power is the person that has the most answers, right? I mean, that yeah. tends to be how we set up our, our power structures. And to me, I would, I would say that if we instead made the people in power have the best questions, like the people with the best questions were actually given the power this would diffuse a lot of this, right? So, I mean, this is off the top of my head and someone listening might immediately have something that pushes back against that. Right. But, but right now, I mean, in our world, it doesn't even matter if the answer is true, false, misleading or whatever, as long as you have a confident answer, then you have power over someone. And that's such a strange mindset, right? Our greatest discoveries, our greatest movements forward in technology and industry and humanity, justice, is from asking questions. Like, why do we view this person as less than? What makes this individual superior? What makes, like, when we start asking questions, it starts to point out the faulty cracks in the half-baked answers that we've been given. And, yeah. But instead what we do is we take the question askers and just like your, your quote there, we say that the people that are questioning everything are the ones that are insane, right? We use, we use things, slogans like, if it isn't broke, don't fix it, right? Like, don't yeah. question this. If it's working, don't question it, right? Yeah, and the thing about questions, or especially good questions, is they tend to not be partisan and people don't know how to do or how to deal with that concept. I I struggle with that from time to time when uh, somebody who is on a different political spectrum than I am asks me a really good question and calls me out because it's like, okay, well, (laughs) you know... (laughs) my my frame of of how to interact with you doesn't allow for this Mm -hmm. and then you know it's ultimately a good thing yeah but i always i always find it interesting george you know that i i love to to question everything including things i agree with right like sure um so i can frustrate my spouse particularly right because she'll come in to pound the table about something that she's frustrated with and immediately I go to questioning mode of like, what makes us uh, think that this isn't okay or why would they consider it, right? And 
I really need to grow in maturity in that, right? But <laughs> but I tend to my natural tendency at this point in my life is to just go and ask as many questions as I can. I always find that in most times when I ask someone a question, and let me let me be real careful here because I've there's manipulative questions, there's leading questions, there's questions that presume an answer and those aren't a question yeah right correct. like you're not actually questioning you're not curious you're 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 actually just you're playing jeopardy you're giving a question as an answer and yeah. that's not the same thing um but it's it is interesting to me that when i ask a question i it immediately goes in a lot of instances goes to ad hominem attacks right just emotional responses defensiveness anger um and a response that has nothing to do with the question at all and that to me is really fascinating and i think that doesn't mean that the person doesn't genuinely have good reasoning for their held belief it's just that they've never explored it or haven't explored it explicitly enough to let's quote the Bible here, be prepared with an answer for the hope that you have, right? Uh, that people don't have a response. I, I find it within Christendom, when you ask people questions about their faith, um, I find it in politics, when you question policy, I find it in uh, just social situations where people have biases, bigotry, um, or sure. assumptions of other humans. All those things that when you question it with with sincerity, that rarely does a person actually have the ability to articulate a a thought out answer. And again, I would say it's because we have a culture that um, that prefers answers over questions. I, w I would agree. Which is ironic, right? Because they don't have an answer. But we're in a culture that prefers answers. But I would argue it's because usually once you give an answer, no one questions your answer. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, um, what, what was it? Uh, questions and then questions. I don't know. You used to say this all the time. Something about uh, a question ends in a question mark and a period ends, or a sentence ends in a period and it stops the conversation. Right. Yep. Yeah. So a question mark keeps the conversation going. A period ends the discussion. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, next one. Excellent. That was a good start. Yeah. Great. Um, okay. We're going to become a philosophy uh, podcast to keep this up. <laughs> Maybe we'll get more listeners then. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, offense, you three that are listening. Yes, none. We love... All five all, of you. All five of you. And one of those is you, Don. Thank you for listening to you yourself. Yes. Okay. Uh, Father Pillman said, there is one sort of person who seems to be silent, but inwardly criticizes other people. Such a person is really talking all the time. Another may talk from morning till night, but says only what is meaningful. And so keep silence. Hmm. I do not like that one because it describes me very well being a good Midwesterner. Mm, Midwest. <laughs> nice. Um, 
I, uh, I mean, I, I absolutely, in all seriousness, I, I love that one because, you know, there's a growing up, I got the impression that it was better to suffer in silence than it was to mm. make a big deal out of it because you can't change anything. Um, so just, you know, take your head on the chin and, and, and move forward. And that really developed. And I, you know, I think that there can be room for that, but it develops at least for me really unhealthily to where it's just like, I'm, I'm now criticizing about the people that are just complaining. We're not even so much complaining, but are just saying actual truths of mm-hmm. this is really hard. Yeah. I am really upset. I'm like, all right, well, who cares? Just, you can't do anything about it. Just move through it. Um, and it's just such an uncomfortable quote that I really, really enjoy. Yeah. What was the first, the first one was, what is it that they're creating? They're just breaking silence or what is it? Uh, it I'll read it again. There is one sort of person who seems to be silent, but inwardly criticizes other people. Such a person is really talking all the time. Another may talk from morning till night, but says only what is meaningful and so is silent. Yeah, so for me, I really want to play with those words of talking and silent, right? Like, um, like, so they're clearly not, not referencing uh, audible sounds, right? Um, because that doesn't work. Right. So like, like, because if someone's talking from morning to night and are silent, because they're saying, because they're saying meaningful things, then silence is about, like, I think about like pollution, you know, we often hear people talk about just the noise that we're constantly engaged with in the world. So like, imagine driving down the highway and all of the billboards that you pass none of them are making a sound but they're all noise right they're all a cacophony of sound constantly and perpetually going on and on and on about happiness what you need what is expected of you yeah Um, and so even in this thing i love the idea of if you say something meaningful you're contributing to silence um if you say something if you're internalizing pollution let's just use that language okay uh, criticism right it says like criticism and stuff then you are generating you're actually talking um i think it's really interesting i i think about like you know jesus kind of moves things from actionable things to thought right Um, and I think that we have a danger there of making God into thought police. Um, Oh yeah. Which which is, I think has its own set of dangers. So I'm I'm just trying to think about how to think about this because I do think it's a really fascinating, uh, proverb. Um, but there's also some cautionary tales there because like, like you even said, it makes you uncomfortable. It resonates with you because it describes you. But I, I would argue that the problem isn't the 
occasional criticism. The problem isn't the, um, the impulse to critique something silently. I think what it, it more so is, is the continuous, right? Doesn't it imply that you just continually critique? Yes. Um, and I think that that's the truth on both ends of this, right? Like if I wanted to really dive in, like the question that I'd want to ask the person that wrote it would be, what's the most important element here of your proverb? Is it the continuous piece? Is it the silence or is it the talking? Like what is, and, and for me, the more I ponder this and think out loud with it is it's the continuous, right? So like we all, if you don't have something nice, don't say it at all, right? Like I, I don't think that that's a bad, uh, a bad thing to live by, right? Like if you don't yeah. have something nice to say in a situation or something productive, that's kind of how I often think about it. If I'm not adding something positive to this conversation right now, um, I'm not sure that I should say anything, um, which would be a really boring podcast if I actually owned that. Um, <laughs> It'd be a boring life too. So yeah, it's the continuous piece. So what do you think about that? Like if it's, if it's the, the constant. Well, I, um, I think it's, I don't think it's a either or I think it's a both and like, I think it's the constant is definitely a part of it, but if you're constantly adding silence to something by being productive, and I, I should say I, I'm making the assumption that being the silence is being productive or helpful in, in, in this uh, proverb. And the talking is, you know, criticism, like it said, and, and, and being unproductive. It's not so much that the continuous is an issue. It's only an issue if you're not adding something good. Mm. Hmm. You know, when you're describing it, what, what picture came to my mind is kind of like a, a road um, with like potholes, right? Oh, Michigan. <laughs> Pretty much the United States, at my guess. Um, <laughs> but like when you're driving, um, filling the potholes, right, in order to create silence, right? If you think about the noise inside of a car, especially yeah. the older car you have or the stiffer your suspension, right, that the noise inside. But when you're doing something meaningful, such as filling those holes to make the path smoother, right, um, so leveling or smoothing the path in front of us, then you can talk all day especially if you're in Michigan, because there's lots of potholes to fill, right? Yeah. That you can fill in these potholes and that will create silence. But if the road is already smooth, right? And you yeah. add things to the road, you're actually going to make noise. Um, and so it's unhelpful, right? Yeah. You're still contributing. You're still putting something on the road, but because there is no potholes, what you're contributing is actually counterproductive. Yeah, you're taking away. Right, so it's harmful. So that's where I think the constant talking, but meaningful, it comes in, right? Is that you're smoothing the road by, by filling in the potholes. I can't think of the inverse, though. Like, the inverse of that is where I'm struggling, right? The, uh, I can't think of a metaphor for the inverse of, like, silence but critiquing 
creates noise. Um, hmm. Well, maybe we'll come back to this one again in, uh, yeah, in a week or two. I think it's really fascinating and I like it. And I think that there's something meaningful there. And I, I mean, like any proverb or, or metaphor or parable, like it falls apart once you start picking at it too much. Right. Um, yeah. But I guess my only fear is, is that someone could, could imagine that keeping unhealthy or unwarranted thoughts to themselves is bad and it can be but it isn't always that's why i think the constant part is so important in this yeah so anyhow that was a good one i like okay, it okay great uh okay and so th- this is the I didn't last know you're one. gonna make me think so hard this morning <laughs> in all fairness i didn't think i was going to uh which means this next one may backfire spectacularly excellent okay <clears throat> Once some people came to an old man in Theobed, bringing a person possessed by a demon, hoping that he might be cured by the old man. Being asked persistently for quite some time, the old man finally said to the demon, go out of God's creation. And the demon replied, I will go out, but let me ask you just one thing. Tell me, who are the goats and who are the sheep? Then the old man said, a goat is someone such as I, but as for the sheep, well, only God knows. Hearing this, the demon cried out in a loud voice, look, because of your humility, I'm going out. And he went on away that very moment. Hmm. Yeah. I actually don't know that I have much to, to say to that. Right. Like, I think that one's probably the most well-written of them in that uh, it, it presses, it presses into the scripture specifically, right. Into the Matthew 25, was that 42 through the end? Um, yeah. 31 to 46. So like this, this notion of, of the sheep, I, I think, what I think is fascinating is most people that are Christian think that that prayer, that uh, sawdust uh, path that they walk down to the altar to go all Billy Sunday on people. Um, oh, you don't know who Billy Sunday is? George? I know. I've never heard of Billy Sunday. It was a revivalist and he created the sawdust path. Um, anyhow, uh, he also sounds like he'd shoot you in the back if you got into a, <laughs> into a shooting with his six shooter. But um, so I, I think that what I find fascinating about that is the, the recognition that we're more likely to be a goat than a sheep, even in this story, right? That, but so many of us have been taught to presume that we're a sheep. Um, and I think that's really interesting. Um, and again, this goes into dangerous places. And, and this is why 
simple faith is so harmful, in my opinion. When we have a simplistic faith, anytime we have something introduced to our simple faith that causes us uncomfort, it can send us into a tailspin. This goes back to the the asking questions versus having answers, right? Simple faith is like, I don't need to ask any questions. I just know that Jesus is Lord and I'm supposed to follow him. Boom, done. But the problem with that is, is when anything, so whether we have a theology that's built on very simple building blocks, right? Legos are fun, but I would never want to live in a house that was exclusively built by Legos, right? And I I use the word exclusively because I know there's videos of people building houses out of Legos, but they use glue and they still put plumbing in it. They still put insulation and stuff. Legos are not a good building block to uh, beyond a toy. And they're going to fall. They're going to crumble. And unfortunately, I think for a lot of folks that have this simplistic faith, um, when a theological conundrum arises, um, it's like building your house in the sand. Yeah. Right. And, and it's because we're not taught to ask questions, right? Because again, the person with power is the person that has the answers. And in the church, it's usually the white male behind the pulpit. Yep. And as long as they have answers, then, um, then they're in power, which is why churches like are still meeting during this pandemic, right? Because th- you don't question the authority of the pastor, um, that the, the pastor has a special insight into God and can provide answers that others of us can't. Like, that's ridiculous, absurd, and unfortunate. Right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think what we see in this parable is that the person that was the person that did the demon casting or whatever you have sure um they are probably wise uh at least the story setting them up to be very wise introspective asking lots of questions and when you ask lots of questions it's it's kind of like the whole thing uh that when we do it well the more you know the more you know you need to know have you heard that phrase before yeah right because the more you you know the more questions you should have not fewer questions right that's how science works science is always dependent on asking the next better question um it's why it is like a a theory of things because it implies that it's not finished yet that we still have more questions more understanding that we've yet to arrive to we just haven't found the right question yet to learn more yeah um and I think the person that tends to be the most wise and the most introspective also tends to be more humble because they recognize that there's so much more that we need to know. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I don't think there's any, any harm in, in saying, you know, Don, you have a lot of knowledge about the text. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and you understand 
quite a bit about ancient Judaism, but what you know is a small fraction of what there is that's out there. Absolutely. You know, this is why, man. So I, I, I love this, uh, that last one because, so for the first time in my life, what was it? It was uh, maybe end of February. Uh, the church that we were a part of was doing um, a type of Bible study where you walk through the gospel. Any, anyway, the only time <laughs> that I actually had the availability to go was when they were talking about the sheep and the goats parable. And that is something that has always made me uncomfortable mm-hmm. just because I've never really known what to do with it. But it was also that at that meeting, the first time that I read it was the first time that I actually felt hope and inspiration from it. Mm. I mean, it, which is kind of a weird thing because, you know, in my evangelical upbringing, I was always taught, you know, you're, if you follow Jesus, you're a sheep, you know, you should, you should really have nothing to worry about. But, you know, in that teaching jesus is saying the same thing to both the sheep and the goats you did not feed me you you know you did not seem in distress you sure you called upon my name to release a demon but you didn't help the poor um and you know for the first few years of my my evangelical walk i was terrified of always being a goat and so i felt like i had to be on all the time Mm. like i had to i had to flip that performance switch in me and that wasn't you know an authentic faith that was uh trying to perform for the checklist god yep absolutely and i think that's where most people are unfortunately right oh yeah and and this is where fundamentalism really struggles right and fundamentalism whether it's religious fundamentalism or anti-religious fundamentalism right yeah struggles right that when everything is simplified to a yes, no, and there's no room for a maybe, or there's no room for an, I don't know. If you have never heard the religious leader in your life say, I don't know about a theological concept, you should be concerned. I'm not saying you should, I'm not doing a a Beck thing here where I'm like, if your pastor ever says social justice, leave that church. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if, um, if you have never heard the person who influences your understanding of God in a meaningful way, if you have never heard them say, I don't know, I am uncertain. I'm still wrestling with that. I'm still wondering about that myself. I haven't got a grasp on that. If you have never heard those types of words, you need to have concern because those words are fundamental, no pun intended by bringing it back to that, but they're fundamental to a healthy uh, relationship, right? I should have the same reaction to questions about Tana, my spouse, right? Like if someone asks, I should never be able to answer every question about my spouse. That would be ridiculous. There's no need then for her to function if I know how she would respond in every situation to everything. Um, And and I would argue that God it should be beyond our understanding, even beyond our own spouse or any intimate relationship, whether siblings or parents or whatever it might be. Sure. Friendships, right? So, yeah, this is, I think that this, this particular one is really good. And 
I think, unfortunately, that a lot of the unhealth in the church goes back to we would rather have a church, uh, a, a group of people that can respond with bumper sticker theology, t-shirt theology, um, good religious memes or quips than we would a group of people who say, I don't know. Um, that would say, I'm still figuring that out. Like, how do you know God exists? I don't know. There's just something in me that is drawn to this mystery yeah. that I can't explain. All I can tell you is that when I study the text, when I find myself in prayer, I feel more deeply human than I do at other times. Well, yeah. And it's that also might be a crutch and that might be a weakness of mine. And that might show you that I am weak minded, but. Well, but, but here's the thing though, is that flexibility also gives you the room to say today, I am not sure that God does exist Absolutely. or today. I don't believe that God exists. I mean, the, the faith is about more than, you know, obviously understand or believing in what you don't understand. Mm -hmm. It's having room to say, I might be absolutely wrong. Or today this, this shoe just doesn't fit and that's okay. Well, and this is where I really love an excerpt from Dostoevsky's, uh, the brothers Karamazov, right? This might be out of the thousand page, uh, book that the most the part that resonated with me the most is when they're talking about the martyrs who were killed because they went renounce their faith right so they went renounce their faith so they were killed and the one of the servants says well they wouldn't have been lying if they said they didn't have faith and of course, everyone gets fired up and they're like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, the scripture says that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. So if they did actually have faith in that moment before they were being martyred, they could have moved a mountain on top of their executors. And if they couldn't do that, then they weren't lying by saying, I do not have faith. And so, <laughs> and I just love that, that moment right because it, it does it gives us that space to say in this moment when i'm facing death i don't know that i do have faith um in this moment when i'm fight, facing a crisis or i'm facing a decision i don't know that i have faith that god will provide or god will care for me and this is where the matthew 25 let's bring it back around yeah the person who was hungry it's nothing about their faith. Think about that story in Matthew 25. I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. So anytime you help the least of these. So a person standing, begging for food, whose faith is it about? Is it the person who is suffering who has to have faith in God? Or is it the person who has excess and blessing that has to have faith in God in that moment? 
And it's the person with excess that we're talking about their faith. It's not, and the person who is the least of these had faith that God would provide food for them. No. It's the person with excess had faith and therefore gave to the person in need. I just, all this is fascinating to me and I could go on and on and we're probably close to time, if not past time. Uh, we're, we're just a little bit past time, but that's okay. No, this is, I, so this morning I had this idea cause I was thinking about how I still didn't have anything that I wanted to talk about. And I thought this was going to be a long shot and not work, but it's been better than I anticipated. So I cannot wait to do this again. Well, I'd encourage people listening, send us some of your favorite, uh, Christian or religious memes, your religious bumper stickers, uh, your favorite proverbs or whatever, and we'll yeah. do more of these. Um, I, yeah. I think these are important to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, especially if it's, if you have something that wasn't written within the last 100 years, I mean, there's a there's deep no well. Stickers. Well, you just never know. I mean, like the, the bumper stickers and everything, that's that's great. We want that. But also, if there are things that you have that were written, you know, in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Uh, during the Enlightenment. Um, you know, whatever. There's a, there's a deep well to, to dive into. Yeah. Even, even non, non-Jesus ones. That would honestly kind of be great. Yeah, uh, Marcus Aurelius has some really great uh, proverbs. I was not aware. Yes, should check those out. Well, maybe we'll do that on a future episode. Um, yeah, I, so uh, check us out. We're on the internets, uh, Instagram, all, all the yeah, internet, all of the internets, all three W's, <laughs> and even a few dot coms. Um. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Evangel Bros, and uh, we're still on Patreon. So there's that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm really enjoying being back, and and hopefully we'll uh, you know continue to be this consistent. Promises, promises. I said hopefully. I didn't promise anything. All right. Well, I have been your co-host George. I've been your other co-host Don. Have a great week, everyone. Bye.